So like I said, this uh, is, you'll notice this says lesson five. Um, I've developed a, a number of lessons. I think there's about 40 altogether, but this is lesson five of the whole series. And by the time we're said and done, I'll probably, I'll have the series finished and probably give you the rest of them that you can study on your own or we can go through them at some other time or whatever. But uh, in our prophecy studies here today, primarily we're looking at this subject, Is Jesus of Nazareth the Messiah? We are going to really look at Daniel chapter 9 really uh, more in depth than anything else we do in this study. Now how we'll do it this time is we'll take it question by question. Um, for example, question 1, uh, Jerome, if you want to look up Luke 24... And maybe, Sean, if you want to look up John chapter 5, verse 39 there. And while you're doing that, we'll get into the question, and then you guys can read it, and then we'll look for an answer. Um, but next week, and I'll, I'll be handing out the study for next week before you leave, so that you can do that study at home, and when you come next week, you'll have already looked these things up, and and uh, we'll go over it together then. But seeing how this is the first study uh, with us together, then... Then, um, are you giving him the first Luke? Yeah, you want the second one? You want both? <laughs> now, we don't necessarily have to look up every single um, reference that's given either, just because of time constraints. Uh, but I encourage you to look them all up. So, um, to begin this lesson, you know, it says, How do we know that Jesus was who he said he was? You know, it's like when we talked this afternoon at lunch, we said, you know, some people will start talking in Hebrew, you know, and you're like, well, how do you know that that's what the Hebrew means, you know? It's, <laughs> it's just one of those things. Where are we going to place our trust? What authority are we going to place our trust in kind of thing? And this is the question. How do we know that Jesus was who he said he was? Well, we're going to have to search, aren't we? The Bible has a few hundred prophecies that foretell the coming of the Messiah. And we're going to take a look at a few of these prophecies right now. What did Jesus show was the theme of the Old Testament prophecies. Luke 24, verse 25 to 27. Do you want to read that? Uh, <clears throat> then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe that all, all that the prophets have spoken, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them, all the scriptures and things concerning himself. Well, what does that tell us? I mean, what did Jesus show was the theme of the Old Testament prophecies? Deb, you got verse 44? Mm-hmm. What's that say? And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Concerning who? Yeah, me. Jesus. So he mentions all the... Essentially, he's saying all the scriptures, right? And I think Sean's scripture, he's going to read this, kind of puts the topping on it. You want to read verse 39? Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. So... From everything we've read so far, what would be the theme of the Bible, let alone prophecy? Jesus. Jesus Jesus Christ, right? What did Jesus show was the theme of the Old Testament prophecies? 
the life and mission of himself. That's what it's all about. So when we study these prophecies in the, you know, in the, the coming weeks here, we're actually going to be learning about Jesus and the ministry of Jesus and the people who follow Jesus. Everything has to do with that. Okay? It's nice to know what's going to happen in the future, just to know what's going to happen in the future, but that's not the, the, the reason to have prophecy. It's to know about Christ and to be prepared to meet Him. That's what the bottom line is. So Jesus Himself said, Hey, search the Scriptures. They testify of me. All of them. That's what it's all about. So let's look at one of the uh, prophecies that was about the birth of the Messiah. Concerning the birth of the Messiah, Isaiah 7 and verse 14 says, Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign... Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So, Emmanuel being God with us. So here Isaiah was given this to, to give to the people and said, here is, here is a prediction of the Messiah that's going to come. God's going to give what? A sign. And what was the sign? Star. Well, according to this scripture, Isaiah 7.14, oh. a virgin shall conceive... A virgin, okay, I think we all understand what that means, is going to conceive, get pregnant, as a virgin. That's a sign. And she's going to have a boy. This is the sign. So the question is, was Jesus of Nazareth born of a virgin? Mm-hmm. Well, how do you know? Because the Bible says? Luke 1. Luke 1. Let's just go to Luke 1. You know, we had so many things packed, packed in the car and stuff, you know. Luke 1 and verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying. Can you imagine? Okay. And... And cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. If you look in the margin there, there's usually a reference. Do you have a reference? Yeah. What's it show? Isaiah. Isaiah 7.14, which we just read, right? And he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end. There are a lot of references that we can look up for that. But the answer is what? Was Jesus of Nazareth born of a virgin? Yes, according to the Bible he was and there are other historical accounts as well um, that can be be looked up. But let's, let's move along here. Question number three. Um, Deb, you want Micah 5 2? 
let's just look that one up because I want to get in into the real meat of it. We we know that we. Some of these we practice, and um, people practice every year, don't they? It's called Christmas, right? You know. So most people who profess to be Christians understand these prophecies. I don't use the Bible on my phone. I did. But in what city does the Old Testament say the Messiah was to be born? But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is, to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. So, God said, what city? What city was the Messiah going to be born in? Oh, well, you have extra Bibles here, don't you? Yeah, you can open one up. Yeah. Are you using yours? Here. I'll let you guys read then. Uh-huh. So, Bethlehem, right? So the Messiah was going to be born in the city of Bethlehem. Was Jesus of Nazareth born in Bethlehem? Yes. Why wasn't he born in Nazareth? I said he wouldn't be the Messiah. <laughs> well, there was a tax, wasn't there? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, so they had to pick up and go to where his father Joseph was born, which happened to be in Bethlehem. And, and so Jesus was born in Bethlehem, right? Was there also a specific time the Messiah was to appear. Galatians 4 and verse 4. You got that one for us, Jerome? Oh, he took off. I want to give him next week's study. That's all right. Uh, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. What does the beginning say? When the fullness of the time was come. So was there a specific time the Messiah was to appear? Or did we just look for other signs and hope that he would be born at any time? And well, There was a specific time, wasn't there? And that's important because there are a lot of things dependent upon that, that, that other parts of prophecy that depend upon the coming of the Messiah. The timing aspect of it. And that's what we want to get into is the timing aspect of it, which we will in, in question number five. Let's turn to Daniel chapter nine. Daniel nine verses twenty Daniel nine verses twenty four and twenty five. When was the Messiah the Prince to begin his earthly ministry? Uh, seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the Most Holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah and the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The The street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublous times. Okay. So we're wanting to... We're wanting to know... Well, Does the Bible tell us when the Messiah was going to come? What's it say there in verse 24? It says, 70 weeks are determined. We'll get into this a little bit more in detail. It says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. And it goes down to say, in verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment 
to restore and to build Jerusalem unto what? The Messiah, the Prince. And it tells us how long it's going to be, right? It's going to be seven weeks and three score and two weeks, three score. How long is a score? A score is 20. So three score would be 60, see? So it says it'll be seven weeks and 60 in two weeks, and the street shall be built again, the wall, and even in troublous times. Are you so, no, Daniel chapter 9. So, when was the Messiah the Prince to begin his earthly ministry? We look at Daniel 9, and this is specifically talking about the Messiah. You know, by the way, um, Daniel chapter 9, and in particular, these verses here, uh, is forbidden. The rabbis will not let the Jews, Jewish people, read these scriptures. That's because it gives the timing of the Messiah. And so, here we find the timing of the Messiah. It says it's going to be 69 weeks after the command to restore and build Jerusalem that the Messiah is going to come. Because remember, verse 24, it said, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people, essentially upon the Jews. And it says, in 69 of those weeks, at the end of 69, the 69 weeks, the Messiah, the Prince, is going to come. Okay? So, the answer is 69 weeks, right? That's when He's going to begin His earthly ministry. The 69 weeks from when? After the command to restore and build Jerusalem. Now, if you go back to the book of Ezra, and something that is really interesting to me, and always has been, and this is just like God, the book of Ezra, (coughs) excuse me, in, it's, it's exact. You know, Ezra took meticulous records. Okay? Ezra took meticulous records and if you look up Ezra let's look up Ezra 6.14 for example you got it there Jerome? yeah read read Ezra 6 and verse 14 please and the elders of the Jews built it and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo and they built it and they finished it according to the commandment of the God of Israel and according to the commandment of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. Very good. Okay, so so here we have Ezra 6.14 telling us that there essentially was a threefold, there were three commands given but they're all considered as one command to rebuild and restore Jerusalem. And he even mentions them by name, doesn't he? Right? So, Ezra, what's very interesting to me, and you, you start studying some of the history of this, of all the archaeological finds, biblical finds, that help support you know, the scriptures and the Bible, Ezra has the most finds of all of them. Now, what would that kind of tell you? Ezra is a very important book, isn't it? 
And God didn't want there to be any doubt. And when you go to Ezra and you read through, and if you go on to chapter 7 and you read through, you see the timelines, and we'll get more into it, have been set there for us to understand, uh, essentially, prophecy. These are key uh, keys to understanding prophecy that we find here in Ezra. Now, here's a principle that, that, that we uh, need to understand as well as we, we look into prophecy. In symbolic prophecy, what does a day represent? Now, notice I said, in symbolic prophecy, what does a day represent? A year. Exactly. But how, where do you find that at? My pastor told me. Your pa- <laughs> right, your pastor told you. My pastor slash husband. Well, you can't depend on that, can't though, can you? I can depend on my husband? Wow, that's yeah. pretty yeah, you can depend on your husband. For certain things. But my husband you know. is also my priest. You can depend upon your husband to be your husband. Can I? Yeah. He's not, he's not God and not the Word of God. Where do you find that in the Word of God? I know. Ezekiel 4 and verse 6. Okay, 4 and verse 6. Mm-hmm. 4 and 3. Gotta get over to chapter 4. And when thou hast accomplished them... This is God, he speaks, lie again on thy right side, and thou shalt bear the iniquity of the house of Judah forty days. I have appointed thee each day for a what? Year. A year. And then if you look up Numbers 1434, you see another example of it. You got there? Yeah. After the number after the number of days in which you were searched the land, even forty days, each day for a year, shall you know, shall you bear your iniquities, even forty years, you shall you shall know my breach of promise. So just from those two scriptures, those aren't the only places, by the way, but those are some good examples of how a day, now, a day in um, symbolic prophecy represents a literal year. We need to be able to differentiate that. A symbolic day equals a literal year in prophecy. Now, we need to realize that the day for your principle isn't meant to be used everywhere in the Bible. And this is a problem that I'm finding in Adventism today. They're not using this particular principle correctly. They're, like we mentioned earlier in looking at our Bible study principles, some of them, if there's a vision and it's highly symbolic, it needs to be taken as a vision and as prophecy. There are some people going back, for example, to Leviticus and they're taking some language and they're making it a prophecy. I'm talking about the 2520 movement. Uh, and they're making it a prophecy when biblical principles of study dictate that that is not a prophecy. Okay? And they're applying this day for a year principle to that scripture and there's no call for it to, to be done. See? And they're making a prophecy where there is none. And it's confusing a lot of people. So we need to understand and realize that the day for your principle isn't meant to be used everywhere in the Bible. You'll find that there are two main types of prophecy in the Scriptures. They're called classical prophecy and apocalyptic prophecy. They're two different kinds of prophecies. Classic prophecy, as an example, includes a lot of the messianic prophecies that deal you know, with Christ, such as 
Jesus' birth in Bethlehem. There's no time element, symbology about that at all. It's a classic prophecy. It says he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Okay? It's not a symbol. All right? His being born of a virgin birth, same thing. It's not a symbol. Um, Isaiah 53, right. Classic prophecy includes, for example, the 120 years preceding the flood in Noah's day, and so on, things like that. Classic prophecies occur, here's a key, classic prophecies occur in literal settings and are meant to be understood literally. And I had to bring that out because there are people who don't understand this. It needs to be understood literally, see, in a literal setting. So, for example, let's think of Noah, the 120 years. The 120 years before the flood are, are not 120 years times 365 days per year, using the day for a year principle, which means that God promised to send a flood in 43,800 years. That's nonsensical, isn't it? It was a literal 120 years because no symbolism was used. You see, it was literal. In Daniel and Revelation and portions of a few other uh, Bible books, we find what's called apocalyptic prophecies. And such prophecies appear in highly figurative settings, rich with all kinds of symbols. And as we touched on before, some symbols, if you don't see it in nature, then you know it's a symbol, okay? And when such time periods are given in richly figurative apocalyptic sections, they are meant to be interpreted by means of the day for a year principle. The day for a year equation can be evident in, it can be evident in classic prophecy, such as what we used, you know, in Ezekiel 4.6, Numbers 14.34. That's the principle itself, you see. But it's used in an apocalyptic prophecy for the expression of longer time frames. Now, what's very interesting, and I want to point this out before we go on. We're talking about day for a year principle. When you go back to Daniel 9, and you look at Daniel 9, and verse, let me think here, 24, I want to point out something very interesting. We're talking about the day for a year principle. I want to point out something very interesting about what is said here in Daniel 9, verse 24. The very first part says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. Okay? Now, the Hebrew word used here for weeks, it's a very interesting word. It's called, it's the, it's the Hebrew word Shabuah. And it's interesting when you look at it in different places, but primarily if you go to to um, like Daniel 10, for example, and the first couple of verses in there, the word's used again there. It, it is translated as weak, okay? That's why it says 70 weeks are determined. It's, it's translated as weak, but it describes a period of seven um, consecutive days. That's what a week is, isn't it? Seven consecutive days. But according to the Mishnah and the way Daniel's using it, it denotes seven consecutive years. So, if you look at Daniel 10 and you look at this here, what Daniel is using it as, he's using it to express that word Shabuah. It expresses a week of years. Essentially is what he's saying. So when he says... 
70 weeks of years, see, then what becomes very evident is we don't need to use, in this particular instance, we don't need to use the day, one day, prophetical day equals a literal year. Because the word itself in the Hebrew is expressing that it's a week of years. Seventy weeks of years is what Daniel's saying. That's what the word means. So, 70 weeks of years would be 490 literal years. 70 weeks times 7 years, 490 years. And I just wanted to point that out because you don't necessarily, in this particular case, when you do a little deeper study in the original language and stuff, you find you don't need the day for your principle here in Daniel 9.24. And the reason why that's important is people cannot argue about this prophecy being 70 actual weeks, seventy because the word used is weeks of years. So anybody who tries to tell you we can cut off the 70th week and move it up, and whatever, they don't understand the Hebrew word Shabuah, which we talked about earlier today, uh, this secret rapture. They're buying into what's the error being taught by these church fathers that... You know, um, the Ribera especially, his, his teaching of taking that 70th week off and moving it somewhere in the future, that destroys the word Shabuah. You can't do that. The word is Shabuah. It's weeks of years. Did I say Shabuah in here? In the Hebrew. No, no, I don't have that. But I will be adding that. That would be nice. This is an older lesson that I had put together, and I went through and I'll go, oh, man, I don't have that in there. So I wanted, I wanted to share that with you because that is very, very important. Just as important as the day for a day equals a year principle, we got, so, we got to look at some of the words used. And it's very interesting that here, and the, reason, and, and the reason it's translated that way again is, you go to the first part of Daniel 10, he uses that same word in the original Hebrew. And it's weeks of years for weeks. And so I find that extremely interesting and, and actually makes the prophecy, in my mind, it makes the prophecy more powerful. Because somebody can't argue with you then about, oh well, it's not a day for a year principle, and so it's actual sentiment. No, the word itself is weeks of years. So, <laughs> yes it is. It's, it's 490 years. Okay? So I wanted to bring that to your attention. Um, so let's now consider that 70 week prophecy that we just read about. In Daniel 9, let's consider the question, the answer to question 5 gave us, the beginning point of this prophecy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. Here we're given something very important, a plain means of determining when this prophecy was to begin. The 70 weeks and the 2300 days found in Daniel 8.14 from which it is cut off begin at the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem. Now we looked up and you read out of Ezra chapter 6 you know, and it goes on and you can read the entire chapter 7 of Ezra and it goes into greater detail. But this actually fits in with the decree of Artaxerxes the first that's found in Ezra 7. Um, 
we know that by studying Ezra 7, we know that Ezra arrived in Jerusalem in answer to Artaxerxes' decree at a certain time, didn't he? In Ezra 7 and verse 8 it says, And he came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. The question is, and we're trying to determine, well, what year was it where this command was given? Because if we know what year that the commandment was given, then we can, we can put this prophecy out and lay out the, the mathematics of it and, and know what happened. Know if Jesus is the Messiah. Okay? And so, the question is, well, when was the seventh year of the reign of our Xerxes the first? Historical documents such as the Kralig 6 manuscript that was discovered in 1956, they actually confirm the accounts of Nehemiah and Ezra by giving us the correct dates for the reign of Artaxerxes I. And like I mentioned before, it's amazing of all the, the archaeological findings throughout history since the mid-1800s and on, the most findings support Ezra and Nehemiah. It's remarkable, and there's a reason for that. And the reason is God wants His people to know prophecy. He wants them to understand Daniel 8, 9, Revelation 13, the times we're living in. And so they've, they found this manuscript, and it backs up everything in Nehemiah and Ezra, and the correct date for Artaxerxes' the first reign. And so according to that, we know that the first year of Artaxerxes' reign aligns with the fall of 464 B.C. Okay? The Bible says that Ezra arrived in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the, of the king. That means that Artaxerxes was, had been reigning for seven years. Okay? So if we know that the first year of his reign, through what we found through archeolo- you know, archaeological finds and stuff, the first year of his reign was 464 B.C., and Ezra arrived in the fifth month in the seventh year of the reign, what do we got to do? We must subtract seven years from the year the king began to reign. Right? The year 464 B.C. minus seven years takes us to 457 B.C. Yeah, I was over here bottom of I've got more B.C. <laughs> going the other way. Yeah, going the other way. <laughs> yeah. Thus we can firmly date the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem to the fall right here. This is the beginning of the prophecy, 457 B.C. That's when it began. Now we can just do some uh, simple math using you know, our principles, a day for year principle, to determine the year of the Messiah, the Prince. So, let's look at this. Starting from 457 B.C., if I was left-handed, it'd be good for you. Well, you could have Starting from 457 B.C., the first period given in the prophecy is how many weeks? Seven weeks. And then what said Daniel 9? Seven weeks. So let's go, okay. Seven uh, weeks is 49 years. Right? Times seven days per week equals 49 prophetical days. Yeah, seven. Seven Five weeks times seven days per week equals 49 prophetical days or 49 literal Years. 457 BC minus 49 years brings us to what year? 408 BC. 408 BC. So that's the first uh, segment there of the prophecy. 
Is there anything that happened? It's very interesting that it's 49 years. They, they had a celebration every 50 years. And I find it very interesting. But what happened was, this was the, when the Threefold Decree started, 457 B.C. Yeah, and, uh, and so it took 49 years to rebuild and restore Jerusalem. It took them 49 years to do that. In 408 B.C., you will find that Jerusalem was restored and had civil authority and was autonomous. Well, except it was under the Medes and Persians, you know. But it was pretty much autonomous. And you read about the book of Estra, and you read about all that, and, and that's the way it happened. And it took 49 years for them to get them back to that state. And now the question happens a lot, as I go through this study sometimes with people, and they say, well, why is God being specific about that? Why doesn't he just say, well, 70 you know, weeks, 490 literal years, we know the starting point, so we know the ending point is here. Well, there, we already run into people who have different theories about everything. God's given us some detailed specifics so that we can say, this is exactly how it is. A lot of things can happen in 490 years. Oh, yeah. And people can scratch in all kinds of things. But God can say, God is saying, look, seven weeks, first time. It took him 49 years to get it done. Boom, right there. That's part of the prophecy, isn't it? All right? Um, where am I at here? Yeah, it says, history records that this is the year that Jerusalem was completed. And you can look up there. It says, Humphrey, preview of the Old New Testament, connecting the history of the Jews. Jews, volume 1, page 322. Now, the second period given in the 70-week prophecy is three score and two weeks. And like we mentioned before, how long is a score? Or how big is a score? It's, it's 20, right? So um, three score and two weeks would be 60 plus two weeks or 62 weeks. So 434 years, right? So we see the two sections. We have 49 years was the first one. It was the seven weeks. Then we have the 62 weeks. What's the total overall from there to here? Well, 434 weeks. seven weeks plus 62 weeks is 69 weeks, right? Thus, the prophecy begins with a period of 49 years, then a longer period of 434 years follows that. Now, the first one brought us to 408 B.C. and the completion of Jerusalem. And from 408 B.C., we need to subtract 434 years, since there's no year zero, right? And... Um, <clears throat> brings us to... The right, brings us to the year... 27 A.D. So, yeah. You go under 434 and you're going to go from B.C. to A.D. Somewhere in there, right? <laughs> so it changes from B.C. to A.D. Um, according to the scripture in Daniel, the Messiah, the Prince, would come at the close of the 69 weeks. And the close of the 69 weeks was when? 27 A.D. So here's Daniel, he's, he's hearing these things, he's being shown these things, and he's like, wow, 70 weeks are determined upon my people, and uh, Messiah's going to come in um, 
I'm not going to be alive. This is what Mrs., you know Daniel's thinking. I'm not going to see him you know, a lot. I'm not going to be alive by then. So imagine, here he is, he's a prophet of God, and he's you know, a devout, pious man of God, and he's prayed for his people, and he's given a 70-year prophecy, and he's looking at these things, you know. And it had to be kind of crushing, you know. Now, something interesting that we need to make note of here, it happens that the year 27 AD uh, was the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. Historical records. And the Romans kept, they kept very good records. Um, believe it or not, they were actually a very uh, lawful society. I mean, they had laws. They just didn't have good laws or moral laws. They had laws. And they had, they began actually as a republic. You know, and, and evolved downhill from there. But um, it happens that that was the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. The 69 weeks in it, this is question 7, the 69 weeks of that prophecy ended in the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar's reign. What happened during that year? What happened during the, the year, the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. And this is really important because some people try to say, well, Jesus, you know, Jesus was, for example, here's, here's something that, that um, confuses people sometimes. They say, well, the Bible says that Jesus began his ministry when he was about 30 years old. Right? But 27 AD this prophecy is saying that he basically started his, his ministry in 27 AD. That means if he was born in the year zero, how could he's not 30 years old? You see what I'm saying? Yes. Well, there was an error in uh, the guy who actually started the the whole timeline, AD timeline, and Christ was born. Um, he placed it in the wrong year. He actually placed it to where um, Herod was dead before Jesus was born. <laughs> so essentially, he missed it by a little over three years, roughly. If you So the zero, per se, or when A.D. begins, should be moved back, you know, about three years, and it would come out perfect. But I think the devil was in the details yeah, in that one. Years, even the, you skip zero again. Mm-hmm, so. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so it's very, and the reason I bring that up is not only is it confusing some people when they say, oh, he was born 30, you know, went into ministry 30 at the age of 30, and here you're saying 27. Well, this is what's so important to understand about this prophecy, and the prophecies of the Messiah, and understanding that this was this 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. What happened during the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar? Luke 3, verses 21 and 22. Who has that? You want to read it? Is it my turn? Yes, it's your turn. Go ahead. Was it 21? 21 and 22. Okay. Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape 
like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved son, in thee I am well pleased. What happened in the 15th year Jesus of the reign of Tiberius? Jesus was anointed, wasn't he? Baptized. He was anointed by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And how do we know that that's significant? Well, we weren't there specifically, but the people who were there saw the heavens opened up. They saw the Holy Spirit as a dove descend. They heard the voice of God say, This is my beloved Son. They also saw how He was baptized. Yeah. By immersion. I know yeah. that's a different story. Well, that's, that's what baptism means. Baptizo means immersion. Um, so, that happened in the 15th year reign of Tiberius Caesar. So that's why it's important to understand, well, why do we need to know it was the 15th year reign of Tiberius? Because this is what happened during that year. And that lines up perfect with the prophecy we're finding here in Daniel 9 concerning the Messiah. If it happened in any other time, we could say, well, Jesus was just baptized. That means nothing. Because it doesn't line up with this, this prophecy concerning the Messiah. But it lines up perfectly with this prophecy concerning the Messiah. So question eight, if Jesus was the Messiah, how was he anointed and when did that happen? Well, Acts 10. Just yeah. It's kind of emphasizing again the point. Jesus was baptized. That's how he was anointed. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit at his baptism in 27 AD. That fulfilled this part of the prophecy of the Messiah. Because we read in Daniel 9 that it, it would be 69 weeks unto Messiah the Prince, right? Now, let me ask you a question. Well, this actually is question 9. Did Jesus recognize the fulfillment of this prophetic time? Mark chapter 1 and verse 15. Oh, I'm just skipping that verse in Acts. Yeah, we don't need it. It's, it's emphasizing the answer to number 7, essentially. Um, Mark 1 and verse 15. So here Jesus comes in out of the wilderness and He comes into the synagogue and He says here in verse 15, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. What did He say? The time is fulfilled? Now what's interesting here is the Greek word um, fulfilled or completed, the Greek word is pleru. And that's what it means. It means fulfilled or it means completed. The time is completed. Now, what time is he talking about? That seems kind of an odd thing to say. You know, you come into the synagogue, you read the scripture about the Messiah. They knew exactly, let me tell you, they knew exactly what he meant and what he was saying. The time that had just been fulfilled was the 69 weeks prophesied in Daniel 9 that we're talking about here. This time right here, the end of the 69 weeks, Jesus comes in, He says, this time has been fulfilled. And so what was Jesus doing here when He said that?
he comes into the synagogue and he says, I am the Messiah. That's what he was saying. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. This is what he's saying. I am the Messiah. And they knew exactly, exactly what he was saying. Now let's go back to Daniel 9 again, because we're in this prophecy. And, and what we've seen so far, and I would say just a little of all the prophecies that deal with the Messiah, has what we've seen so far given any kind of case that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah? You know, I did a, a message one time, and I can't remember the title of it now, but basically it was about the odds of a person, a man, fulfilling a number of prophecies. And, and it was very interesting because for one person, a single person to fulfill just eight of the prophecies concerning the Messiah, the odds of that was one in what is called a Google, 84 Googles. Yeah, I remember seven. You remember that? Mm-hmm. That's, that's a one with 84 zeros behind it. That's a chance of one person fulfilling just eight of the, the prophecies concerning the Messiah. And you can go through and you see that Jesus of Nazareth fulfilled every one of them. Think of the odds of that. <laughs> Wrap your head. Wrap your head around that one. It's, it's just amazing. I, I'd say just from this part right here, we know what happened in, um, just from archaeology and history, we know the 49 years, we know exactly what happened then. We know 62 weeks later, you know, we come to 27 AD, it's the 15th reign of Tiberius Caesar, Right? Jesus was anointed the Messiah, 27 A.D. We know that He was born in Bethlehem according to the prophecy, right? We know He's born of a virgin. So what do we have, like four? If eight is one in 84 Googles, four, I mean, it's astronomical, just four, what the odds would be. And yet here He is, He's fulfilled four of them. (laughs) Pretty remarkable, huh? So although the Jewish people wanted a Jewish people wanted to conquer, what would happen to the Messiah, according to Daniel 9, uh, what would happen to the Messiah sometime after 27 AD? Because remember, we still got what? We got one week left, don't we? We got one week left here of the 70 week um, prophecy, right? So what's going to happen after the beginning when Jesus We'll say he is the Messiah now. What happens after twenty seven? Well, Look at Daniel nine. Right under the line. Well, Daniel nine twenty six. Uh, Troubles times, and after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off and offer himself, and the people, the prince that shall come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. I think that actually is referring to the destruction of Jerusalem. But look at verse 27. We'll get into that. Well, we'll get into that too. Is that in the next question? No, I don't think so. 
I think we've got to read verses 26 and 27 because they go together. Um, the first of all, it says, Messiah would be what? Cut off. Now, it's very interesting, that word used for cut off. Um, Tell him, Jerome. Go ahead. Is it, is it satak? Like, yeah, it is. Amputated, cut off. And, and, and it means... <laughs> and it means put to death, to lose life. That's, that essentially is what it means, because if you go back to Genesis, and you look at that same Hebrew word actually in Genesis, God is talking about the flood of Noah, and He says, humanity will not be cut off, Shatak. Completely, He says, because there's going to be a remnant in the, in the ark. See? And so that's what, what we do. What well, we get from that word cut off, you can look in Isaiah 53 and see about the Messiah as well. But the baptism of Jesus marked the end of the 69 weeks and the beginning of the 70 week of essentially probationary time allotted to the Jewish nation. So look at Daniel 9.26 again. After the three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off and not for himself, and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary... What are they going to do? This prince that's going to come, he's going to destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood. And when he talks about a flood there, the word actually is, it's going to be something that's overwhelming. It's not like water. It's going to be a flood of water. It's going to be overwhelming, the destruction here of this. And unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. That's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., is total desolation. Just as Jesus said, not one stone will be left upon another. That's total, overwhelming, like a flood, destruction. And so we look at that again, and we've already learned that the period of Jesus' death cannot come before the year 27 AD. Because it says in the midst of the week, He will be cut off, which is in the 70th week. So Jesus couldn't have died before then, so you can't go, oh, you know, everything happened in the past or everything's going to happen in the future or, you know, we've got a definite time, right? That's what's so important about this. That period is located after the 434-year segment. See? It's got to be in here somewhere. We know by the Gospels, Jesus was baptized and he, he wasn't put to death before he was baptized, was he? No. So it has to be after, right? Um, but we can be even more precise by looking at Daniel 9 and verse 27. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Now this is interesting too. You got a question? No, no. He shall confirm the covenant. Now what's interesting is, and I've read some scholars that kind of have I wouldn't say it's a disagreement. And, it's, and even if it was a disagreement, it's not a big thing. They're trying to understand, well, what would the covenant be? Is it the gospel covenant for a week? Or is it the covenant of the seven prophetical weeks for the Jews? I don't think it matters. I think it's all part of one. The covenant is to obey God. Right, they have their time. They have their time, yeah. see. And so, they've got one week here. And as it says there, he's going to confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. That means in the midst of the week. Midst of the week, right here. 
Something's going to happen. You got three and a half and three and a half. Well, I'd be cross tails a lot. The mi <laughs> midst of the week. Well, the key is, it says what? He shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. So we see that 69 of the 70 weeks of the prophecy of Daniel, 9 here, takes us from... Excuse me. I was just curious. Takes us from 457 B.C. to 27 A.D. Right? The 69 weeks does. And from A.D. 27, right there, to 34 is the time frame that we have. Yeah, this is the last week of the 70 weeks. Okay, so you had 69 weeks that brings us to 27 A.D. Then you have another week, and that's seven days, and prophecy a day is a year, and or as in Daniel's case, the word, you know, Shabal, telling us that it's a, a week of weeks. Um week of years, excuse me, and, and that brings us seven years from 27 A.D. to 34 A.D., seven, seven years. So, 483 years to 490 years is the difference of seven literal years or one prophetical week, essentially. That's that same week. Now, do you, let me ask you a, a sincere question. From what we've read there in Daniel 9, is there any justification anywhere that you've read there of taking this last week and cutting it off and moving it somewhere else? Well, like, why? I'm just asking. That, that, the, Is there any that, biblical justification to do that? somewhere else, why? Then that would change... That's the, the theory today we talked about of the secret rapture. They take this last week and they cut it off and they move it somewhere into the future. Where? It's the time of trouble. It's the time of trouble and tribulation before Jesus comes. Well, that would mean that Jesus didn't die. No. You're on to something, though. What they don't realize by doing that, they destroy one of the major prophecies that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. It applied to the Antichrist. They take this week, yeah, and they apply it to the Antichrist. Essentially, Weirdos. because you can you can take a number of the other prophecies, and and this is the way the devil works. You take a number of the other prophecies because there's Jesus even said there will be false Christs and false prophets, and there'll be people that will be raised up, and there were people in those times, and even in the time of Jesus, who professed to be the Christ, and they'll they'll say, well, I was born in Bethlehem, my mother was a virgin. You see what I'm saying? And by records, you couldn't disprove it, necessarily. But if you come to this time prophecy in Daniel that was etched years ago, and you find that Jesus of Nazareth fulfilled everything, oh, oh well, that week's missing. Well, I guess it could be just about anybody who fits the other prophecies. So unknowingly, they're destroying the argument that Jesus of Nazareth is the Savior of the world, is the Savior of is the Messiah. And they don't even realize it. And then to put insult, and this is the way the devil works, they apply that 70th week not to Jesus, here as they should in the whole prophecy, but to the Antichrist. They say, he's going to come, he's going to reign three and a half years, and then... 
It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable to me. Make a covenant of the old times. Oh yeah. Wow. It says. It says in the in the midst of the week he shall cause sacrifice and oblation to cease. That carries us to the spring. Have you shown this? That brings us to the spring of 31 A.D. Because this was in the autumn. And this is in the spring. Now what's really neat about this is, and I'll share, let me share that in a moment. Let's, let's go on. Um, hopefully I don't forget. It says that carries us to the spring of 8031, a period of three and a half years, which puts us in the midst of the week from the fall of 8027. Not in the future, right? As the futurists teach, but in the fall of 8027 to the spring of 3118. Now, here's something just kind of interesting to share with you. Um, and, and actually, it's, it's true, of course. You can. Look at Jesus was when did Jesus die? What it was a festival going on. What was it? The Passover. The Passover. That's what you meant by Easter. <laughs> exactly. That's what I meant. Well, in the Bible, like, no, that's the they, they actually they actually translated in the King James version. They have the word Easter. It's the only place in the Bible the word Easter is. But it's the 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 actual Greek word is <laughs> Pascha, which is Passover. Okay. In Jesus' ministry, yeah. how many Passovers did he attend? And this is really interesting. Mm -hmm. He didn't attend all of them. I want to say. It says here, the prophecy says, In the midst of the week he shall cause sacrifice and oblation to cease. What is this causing of sacrifice and oblation to cease? <laughs> Jesus was crucified. Remember we read, he would be cut off. That means basically put to death. Right. He was crucified. And all the sacrifices in the Jewish system, they were uh, figurative representations ultimately of Christ dying. That's what it all represented. That the Messiah was going to come and he was going to die for our sins. Right? He was going to be a righteous person teach us, teaching us how to live righteously and then die for our sins. The Passover was celebrated in the springtime and Jesus himself was our Passover lamb in the spring of 31 AD. <clears throat> Jesus came at the last week of the 490 year period to re be received by the Jewish nation as the Messiah. But did they accept him as the Messiah? Mm -hmm. No. They refused to accept him as the Messiah. So Jesus who made the covenant would put an end to the animal, sac animal sacrifices by himself being cut off and becoming our sacrifice on the cross and um, how do we know well let me ask you a different way what happened when Jesus died on the cross what happened in the temple the veil right the veil was torn from top to bottom which means not a man's hand did it it was God that did it as a sign that the sacrifices and the oblations had ceased. You don't find that. You find that in 31 AD. Well, also what's interesting is, if you get in and you do some more research on your own, you do some history, you find that there was an eclipse in 31, the spring of 31 AD. 
and the day that Jesus died, we're told in the Gospels mm -hmm. that the Darkness. sun was darkened. Yeah. And it was so dark, you read in the Desire of Ages, it was so dark that people were on the ground. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face. It was that dark. And people were crawling on the ground trying to find their way back to the city. How long did that last? What was it three hours or wow. Yeah. And, and, and so if you look at the history, that happened in 31 AD in the spring. Was it three hours? I think so. And so it, it's, just, it's just remarkable. When God tells us something... I mean, he, he doesn't lie. And so he, he wants us to have understanding. And here we have um, this in the midst of the week. He would be cut off it was in the spring of 31 AD. That's three and a half years. But we have three and a half years left of the 70-week prophecy. Jesus died in the middle of the week. We still have three and a half years left. What's going on there? Number 11, did Jesus understand the prophetic time period pointing forward to his being cut off and doing away with sacrifices? Um, does anybody have Luke 9, verse 51? He does. <laughs> he I do too, actually. I do that. Right. <clears throat> and it came to pass, when the time was come, that he should be received up, yet he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. So, uh, the question basically is, is aimed at, did Jesus know that he was going to die for us? And what was his reaction? Well, of course. Did he know that what was going to happen was that he was going to die and he was going to do away with sacrifices and stuff? Yeah. Well, yeah. And he still went through with it, didn't he? Yeah. He knew he was going to die. And let me tell you something. In his mind, his humanity believed he, he was dying not... for eternity. That's right. That was it. Yeah. And if it was to save us, Amazing. he would still do that. Amazing love. How can it be? Exactly. Praise God. Question 12. We'll probably start wrapping this up here. Uh, question 12. Since after Jesus' death, there were still three and a half years of the final 70th week for special ministry to the Jewish people, where did Jesus tell his disciples to begin their witness? Because here we are. We're in the midst of the week. The Messiah would be cut off. The midst of the week winds up being 31 A.D. in the spring. What happened in 31 A.D. in the spring? Well, we find that Jesus of Nazareth, who people said was the Messiah, was crucified. Wow! That fits the prophecy. <laughs> okay? What about the other three and a half weeks? Jesus is dead. Then he, he's resurrected. You know? He spends a little bit more time, but then he ascends to heaven. we still got three and a half years left. So what did Jesus say... While he was still here before he ascended, what did he tell his disciples? What did it say in Acts 1 and verse 8? It says... Oh, go ahead, John. But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Okay. So we, read, so we read that and he says, yeah, where, where are they supposed to begin? Where did they emphasize he emphasized they were to start at. In Jerusalem. Well, who was in Jerusalem? The Jews. the Jews, right? And so there's still three and a half years left of the 70 weeks which are determined upon thy people, Daniel was told, 490 years. There's still three and a half years left of the 490 years that, that God is still trying to reach out to his chosen people. 
And so Jesus confirmed the covenant of 490 years with the Jewish people, first through his own ministry, then he was cut off, and then through the ministry of his disciples. When did the gospel begin to go to the Gentiles? This is important too. Acts 7, verse 59. You want to read it? Since you have it. And they stoned Stephen upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And you'll find that... You'll find that with the stoning of Stephen, you start to put some of these things together historically. And you look at Saul when he went... You know, the time frame of him being called to the ministry. You look at the time frame of when Stephen was stoned. You find it was in the year 34 A.D. When these things happened, so there was a major thing that happened. Persecution. I mean, that was the that was the Jews. They still kind of persecuted God's you know disciples a bit. They would throw them in jail, and then they'd come out, and they would you know for those three and a half years. But they primarily still were in Jerusalem, in just the surrounding areas. They were obeying Jesus, and then what happened? The the Jews got sick of it, finally they completely rejected the gospel, stoned Stephen, and began persecuting his disciples with haste, with death. And you see that they scattered out of Jerusalem. This is a major fulfillment of prophecy. It happened in 34 AD. You can trace the history back to it. And so, when did the gospel begin to go to the Gentiles? At the end of the 490 literal years that God had given to the Jews right on time as God predicted to us. In 34 AD, stone Stephen, gospel went to the Gentiles. You can find it in, in Scripture. There's a decided end. And then you get the book of Acts and on with the, the end uh, um, ministry of the disciples and then a lot of it deals with Saul who became Paul and on. It's rather remarkable, isn't it? In the stoning of Stephen, the Jewish nation once more rejected the covenant of mercy. And this final rejection brought the 70-week prophecy to an end and probation closed on the Jewish nation. They actually became... They, they, they in essence, kind of lost... They lost their favored nation status is kind of the way I, I describe it. When they crucified Jesus, they lost their favored nation status. And it could have, their probation in all honesty, God could have cut it off right there. When they crucified the Son of God and, and pushed for that and Jesus died, God could have said, that's it for them. But in His mercy, He allowed another three and a half years. And He said, I'm going to try to reach you through His disciples. And then they rejected it. And they stoned Stephen. They said, we will not have have this. And then persecution really hit the church. Whereas the three and a half years before that time, there was some persecution. They didn't like him being there, but they didn't put him to death. They didn't do things like that. They still, And there were many people actually who were saved through their ministry in those three and a half years. There were many Jews that were saved. And even leaders. Question 14. Um, who wants Romans chapter 2? Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. I'll take Jeremiah 18. 
Yeah, go ahead. Was it well? Let me ask the question: Was the Jewish nation still God's chosen people after thirty-four A.D.? Was the Jewish nation still God's chosen people after thirty-four A.D.? I don't think you heard the question correctly. Negatory. <laughs> Did God still work through Israel, literal Israel, after thirty-four A.D.? Not as, as, Not as nation. That's it, as it went to individuals. You know, Jesus wept. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He looked over and said, he wept. But here, th- this, this will answer it. It's not a Jew. Oh. Go ahead and read it, Romans for, 2. For it is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart and the spirit and not in the letter. Whose praise is not of men, but of God. So who's a Jew? What, who's Paul saying a Jew is? He's one who's inwardly, not one who's outwardly. Whose heart's been changed. Whose heart's been changed. Which He's means born again. Circumcision is no longer necessary. Exactly. It's circumcision of the heart, right. is what, what he's saying. In Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 9 and 10, it says, And at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation? and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it. If it do evil in my sight, that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good, and wherewith I said I would benefit them. In other words, there are promises uh, that, there are a lot of promises in the Old Testament pertaining to the Jews as a nation, but it's only on obedience that God is required to keep those promises. They rejected, in 34 AD, they rejected God's mercy and His gospel and His message, and thus, unknowingly, I think, rejected His promises. So, are, is the Jewish nation, and that's the key to the question, the Jewish nation still God's chosen people after 34 AD? No. They went to the Gentiles. And so, it becomes not really... Uh, literal Israel anymore becomes spiritual Israel. Yeah, they can be saved, absolutely be saved, but God does not work through the theocracy anymore. I mean, that doesn't mean just because you're not. No, no, no. No, as His his representative nation. No. But what are the prophecies we told about today? What about the secret rapture? Jesus is going to come and rapture the Christians away, and then he's going to he's going to give the Jews another chance. Isn't that what's that's one of the things that's being taught anyway? Yeah. And that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. See, because people are still trying to fit these promises in the Old Testament about the Jews to the nation of Israel, and it ended in 34 A.D. It's it's not going to happen. Now, Satan may use some of these things to build the temple again and whatever, but it's all a deception. Okay? It's a deception to hang people, hold them into his clutches. Uh, question 15. Um, under the new covenant, who is the true Israel? Galatians 3, verses 26 to 29. I guess I'll look up... uh, You got Galatians? Yeah. I'll look up... Well, why don't you just go ahead and read it? I mean, we're we're running... 
kind of long. For you, ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as have, of you have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither is bond nor free, neither is male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And that goes along with, you know, what you read in Romans and... This is what Paul's saying. All who accept Jesus as Lord and Savior are the true Israel. It's not outward appearance. It's not the literal nation that makes you a Jew. It's the, it's the, the change of heart, being born again. Then you're grafted in to spiritual Israel, which is the kingdom of God. And that's what he's saying here. So under the new covenant, who is the true Israel? All who accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. They become the new... Um, the true Israel. Jesus of Nazareth alone fulfills the prophecies of the Messiah. Through him we can each become a part of God's true people or spiritual Israel. Acts 4 says, Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Is it your desire to be a part of God's true Israel today? It is mine. (laughs) I hope it is yours as well. All you have to do is accept the invitation of Jesus and uh, to be the Lord and Savior of your life, and you will be a part of spiritual Israel, and you will uh, see Jesus at His coming. I hope this, uh, this lesson helped clear up the question, if there were any questions about Jesus being the Messiah, and it actually lays groundwork for us in the coming studies. Uh, our study next week, uh, we're going to get into, at 11 o'clock, we'll get into part two of our study about the false rapture. We're going to look at the what the Bible does say about the second coming of Christ. And uh, then our study, our 2 p.m. study, A King's Dream, we're going to get into Daniel chapter 2. And we'll see some of these things coming back throughout the prophecies. So I think this was a good place to start. It kind of gets us in a, a frame of mind of let's look at time and the importance of time and and when things began and, and, and how they fell out. And then we can be confident that God is who He says He is because He predicted the future and it came out that way. Let's have a word of prayer uh, before, we, uh, before we leave. Father in heaven, we again thank You so much for Your Holy Word. We thank You for the evidence of prophecy and history that we found that, that uh, tells us that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. He fits the... The prophecy of Daniel 9, he fits Micah, he fits, oh Lord, he fits all the prophecies um, if we were honest and we, we searched them out. Uh, we are very thankful that we recognize him and uh, we give our hearts to him and we, we accept him as our Lord and our Savior. Uh, we pray that you will continue to help us to have understanding in the coming weeks ahead as we study from your Holy Word and we study prophecy Uh, that we can recognize more clearly the signs of the times that we're living in and be prepared and also, maybe more importantly, or as important, prepare others uh, who are seeking 
have a, uh, an answer for our faith to give to them so that they may accept Jesus too and uh, be prepared to meet him when he comes. Please continue to be with us throughout this Sabbath day. We thank you so much for hearing this prayer. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.